Okay, we'll try that again. I'm Jim Baldry. I serve as an elder here, and we're going to be reading scripture today, Mark 7, 24 to 37. Mark 7, 24 to 37. And from there he arose and away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapoli. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jim. Well, this spring and summer, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark together at a medium-ish pace uh, here at Bethany Church, looking at Jesus, the Son of God, uh, known as in, in Mark in particular as the Suffering Servant uh, King. And this morning, we do that again together. It's a fast-paced, if you remember, action-packed gospel of small oh, vignettes, little stories throughout where Jesus is he's doing uh, uh, more than teaching even. It's action-packed. So if you're back today from vacation or um, visiting maybe for the first time, we are glad you are here to open the Word with us. We believe here at Bethany Church that God still speaks through His Word, and that when we open God's Word together, God speaks He is ready to speak to us today through His Word. He is still actively speaking. Well, as you hear, uh, listen to those two stories this morning with the woman and then with the deaf man, uh, you might be thinking, as you hear those stories, wait a minute. We're getting sort of a contradictory Jesus today. A divided Jesus. On the one hand, He seems a little dismissive, doesn't He? Uh, And almost unkind, to this woman who comes to him, calling, saying a, a dog, using the term a dog as he's speaking to this woman. And then on the other hand, we've got this, you know, conflictingly gentle Jesus and kind with this deaf man. What's going on here between these two stories? Well, this morning, we are going to look and see that Jesus responds 
as he always does in the gospel, to each individual with exactly what they need, what he knows they need. Usually it's not what they think they need, but it's what he thinks and knows we need, you and I, even this morning. And he does all things well, the crowds say. All things they close with as they proclaim this in astonishment beyond measure, the Scripture says. All things well. And my hope today is that we're going to land today by, by looking at the God who does all things well and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's our hope today. To fix our eyes on Him, our ears and our eyes. We're talking about ears today. On the one who deserves our astonished worship as they were astonished too. Jesus Christ. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it in front of you. We've got some fill-ins there for you. Grab your outline. Have your scripture open on your Bible, your smartphone, your tablet, whatever it is. And I don't care. I just love that you got your word open in front of you as we unpack it today. We're going to look at three, three reassuring truths today as you're thinking, all right, who is this Jesus? It seems a bit conflicted. Is he unkind? Is he kind? What's going on here? We're going to look at three reassuring truths today that show us not a divided Jesus, but rather two miraculous stories of faith and of grace, which you and I need, don't we? I need it. Faith. I need a dose of faith and grace. We sang today, help make my heart believe. We just sang that. Make my heart believe. We need the work of God for faith and grace today. Well, here's our first reassuring truth. We're going to start with, it's this. Jesus' confrontation, that's with the woman now, draws out great faith. From the least likely place. That's what we're going to see, this first reassuring truth. Jesus' confrontation draws out great faith from the least likely place. Now, if you remember correctly, Jesus had just had, we talked about last Sunday, this confrontation. The confrontation with the Pharisees. Do you remember the story? Over the fact um, that what we need is not necessarily external works. There was this divide and debate over hand-washing from the the passage last week. And cleanliness rituals we talked about. Those cleanliness laws um, that really they had turned into and added to, everybody's doing it, everybody's washing their hands, they had turned it into legalism. We called that last week legalism, an external effort to make a spiritual impression. External effort to make a spiritual impression. And Jesus challenged them. He said, I agree with you. You are unclean. But I disagree with you over the source. They thought doing these, keeping these laws, these rituals, adding to them, washing their hands, when Jesus said, no, 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 no. You need something totally radical from the inside out. You need to be internally made, uh, internally made new. A new birth, a new heart with a new faith. He said, I agree, you're unclean, but your change has to come from the inside out, not the outside. Inside out, we talked about. So it's not surprising then that the next story Mark records is one where Jesus proclaims this. Oh woman, great is your hand washing? No, faith. Great is your faith. Great is your faith. He sees what's going on in her heart in this little story this morning. He knows Expressed through her words, through her actions, it's authentic, real faith, not religious performance. And he pulls it out in this confrontational, and it is, exchange. And in so doing, here's what he does. 
He holds up this woman's faith for all the church to see for all eternity. That's what he's doing. That's why he's confronting her. Like a diamond, he's holding it up for all the church to gaze at for all of history. This woman. She's one of the few in Scripture that Jesus marvels uh, and is uh, amazed at their faith, for their faith. She's one of the few. And so I believe this, this, this event was intentional. This interaction was purposeful. This interaction was ordained for this very reason. That you and I today be blessed by this woman's faith. So let's enter in and stand with Jesus to watch him draw out her faith from the most unlikely place. Let's start with a couple reasons why. Why would this be one of the most unlikely places for Jesus to find uh, a true faith that he marvels at? Um, First one's this. Jesus is probably at this point here, he's still wanting to get away for some rest. He's still wanting to get away. And so he heads out from the Jewish region around the Sea of Galilee where he's been ministering uh, to probably get away from his enemies as well. The Pharisees who are increasingly upping the ante and their pressure upon him. And so he flees the place where his fame has exploded so he can rest. He even tries, did you hear, to hide in a house. He tries to hide so he can rest a bit, but it doesn't work. Did you catch verse 24? He heads to this place, Tyre and Sidon. It was northwest of the Jewish region, northwest of the, the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee, probably about 20 miles or so, so not terribly long. Um, but the territory, even though it was only 20 miles, could not have been more different than where Jesus came from, where he was ministering to Jews around the Sea of Galilee. Could not be more different. We talked last week about those purification laws which were given by God. They were given by God. They pointed to a greater internal spiritual need to be clean. They were there for a reason, those laws. That you and I need to be clean, cleansed. Well, Jesus goes right to the middle of what his people would have considered the garbage dump. (laughs) To this area. The most unclean area. And Jesus goes there. Right into the middle of it. Imagine, I mean, this is, it's a gross picture, but imagine just rolling around in a bunch of putrid garbage. Rolling in it. And then going up and attempting to give your loved one a hug. I mean, it's, it, that's, the, that's the visual image of what we're getting here in their mind. Going from the Sea of Galilee to Tyre? Sidon? That's like, that's, that's the, the trash heap. Not literally, but, but maybe spiritually, who they were where they came from, what they believed. But Jesus goes because he knows real uncleanliness isn't uh, because of your race, isn't because of your tradition, isn't actual dirt, but real uncleanliness is a spiritual, spiritual by nature. And Jesus knows that. He can go into this area. And so he goes to this Gentile region, and doing so, he's foreshadowing something for us, for you and I as he goes to the Gentiles for the first time. He's foreshadowing the Great Commission for us, that the message will go out from the Jews to all the world, to all the nations, and you and I get to be part of that. Jesus is foreshadowing that. He's showing us our calling today. And it's so, it's so unlikely that he goes to this Gentile area and finds this amazing faith because of who they are. 
Second, this, it's also unlikely because the woman he interacts with would also be considered unclean. Unclean. Matthew says in his account of this same story that she's a Canaanite. So, which means she's descended from an ancient people the Jews tried to exterminate. That's, that's, her, that's her lineage. That's her background. A Canaanite woman. She was raised in this Gentile culture, which would have been pagan. Uh, many gods influenced by Greek culture. And add to that, she had a demon-possessed daughter at home. She's terribly, would have been terribly seen as unclean in the eyes of the Jews. And yet Jesus interacts with her. It's an unlikely encounter and a person for faith to be found in. But it's there. The barriers here really are meant to seem uh, impossible to overcome. That Jesus would address this woman. Or that she would even come to him, even. She lives close enough to know, to, to, to the Jewish region, to know, I probably shouldn't approach a rabbi as a Gentile, as one who would be seen as an outcast. It would, it would have been absolutely socially unacceptable for her to do what we see her doing in the story today. So what makes her respond with persistent, humble faith? Let's look at it. The woman's persistent, humble faith that pleases Jesus. What makes her respond the way she does to him? You know, she could be placing herself in real danger too. Real danger. She doesn't care. And she goes and she begs and she pleads and she keeps on begging, the text says to Jesus. She's begging him. Look at verse 25 with me in 26. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. What's the reason she falls at his feet? What's the reason she persists and begs knowing that she could be in big trouble for this? She's a mother with great need. She's a mother with a huge need at home. Her daughter is lying there, demon-possessed. I think the term is mama bear. Is that it? That's kind of what we see here. This mama bear instinct is coming out of her. She's got a great need. You know, it's not uncommon to hear of adults risking their life to save kids that aren't even their own. It happens. Just last week, this week actually, a mother in Texas lost her life by jumping in front of a car in the school parking lot. On the first day of school, someone hit the gas instead of the brake. She lost her life. Her two kids, though, and, and a friend of theirs were saved because of her actions. I mean, I think there's something akin to what we see going on here. A mother realizes she has a desperate need at home. A demon-possessed daughter. As you know from some of the other stories in the gospel, demons were prone to, there was one where a, 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 a child was, was burning themselves, throwing themselves into the fire. So death was possible here even. I think that's what we see. We see a mom interceding for her daughter, just seeking wholeness, just seeking restoration. 
just seeking a normal day with her daughter again. Matthew even records that the disciples try to get her to go away. Jesus, send her away. Matthew's account of this story. They go, send this woman away. Get her out of here. And she's still persistent. She still keeps begging. She still keeps asking. And so a question for us is, as we look at this woman's persistence and her faith, are you persistent in your own faith? Is there a persistent uh, quality to your spiritual life or in your pursuit of Jesus? Do you persistently pursue Him as we see this woman doing? It's a good question to ask yourself. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Jesus asks, the Beatitudes? Or are you like the one the Virgin Mary describes? He's filled the hungry with good things, she said in the Magnificat. She said, he has filled the hungry with good things, the hungry and the rich he sent away empty. Do you pursue spiritual things? Do you pursue Jesus? You're here this morning, so yes, that's good. That's good. You're pursuing him today. But is your pursuit just one day a week or maybe even um, one hour and 15 minutes a week? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. This woman is pursuing Jesus with a, with a mama bear pursuit. She is going for him. She comes to him. Which makes Jesus' response all the more startling. It is. It's one of the, probably the most controversial things Jesus said in the Gospels. It's startling as he responds to her. In fact, Matthew also tells us, there's a great parallel account when you put Matthew and Mark together. It really fills out this story. Matthew also tells us that Jesus' first response to her pleading was absolute silence. He didn't say a word. He just stood there, staring at this woman who's begging at his feet, heal my daughter. He just stood there, silently. It must have seemed like silent indifference to her, Maybe the disciples, maybe that's why they said, get her out of here, because they probably thought, he looks annoyed. He's not even saying anything. Get her out of here. And then Jesus even speaks, as Mark records, or Matthew, uh, uh, excuse me, Mark records, he said to her, let the little children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. (laughs) On the surface, uh, it's one of the most shocking things that Jesus ever says. It looks like an insult, doesn't it? Maybe you heard that somewhere as, as Jim was reading. That sounds really insulting, Jesus. You know, in those days, um, Jews called Gentiles dirty dogs. Jews called Gentiles, you know, that cleanliness thing and spiritual and religious and tradition, they called Gentiles dirty dogs. Now, Jesus uses this term for dogs. Because in that day, uh, dogs, we can't really imagine it, but dogs for the most part in their day were wild, scavengers, outside the city limits, roaming the streets, um, dirty. I mean, today we drive our dogs around in strollers, don't we? You've seen it. I actually have seen a grown man wearing a tiny dog in an ergo that babies go in. I have. So it's hard for us to imagine a little bit. It sounds like an insult. Was it an insult? Actually, it wasn't. 
Jesus is speaking first. He is speaking in a parable. It's a metaphor. It's not a direct necessarily address to her uh, or a direct statement necessarily to her. But there's also something else. Take a look at this picture. I thought we might get a couple uh, verbal, uh, aw. Yeah. This week, my family and I had the fun pleasure of going out to um, the Millers to look at their new puppies they have. By the way, if you're interested, talk to the Millers. They got a, a ton of them there. Um, Jesus, when he comes to this woman, he actually uses a different word than their normal word just for scavenger dog. He uses a different word. It's really a word when he's speaking to her that means puppies. It's not just what the, the normal word they would, they would hear, they would think of dog, scavenger. It was a word that was kind of pulled back from that word that meant almost like pet or puppies at that time. Don't you know, he basically says, the kids eat, then the puppies, then the pets? That's kind of what he's saying to her. Don't you know the kids eat and then the puppies? In a sense, he's saying to her mother, you know the fa- how the family order goes. First the children, then the pets. It's kind of what he's saying to her. And it wouldn't be appropriate, he says to the mother, to mix up that order. You know that. That's how a family works. And in Matthew's account as well, Jesus says to her, or he says to, uh, to her, I'm going to the lost sheep of Israel first. So he says that we're first, and then the other nations. So Jesus' silence to her, and then his response to her, is actually loving because he knows this faith that is going to come out of her, he's drawing it out of her. He's bringing it out of her in this confrontation. It's actually loving. He's caring for her in this moment. Persistent she is, yet so humble. The woman's persistent, humble faith pleases Jesus. So persistent, but it's also terribly humble. And she responds to him again, um, which is amazing. He says this phrase to her, and she responds back. She talks back to him again. As like I said, it's amazingly humble and it's clever as she takes Jesus' own words. Did you see that? She takes his own words, his own terminology, and with all due respect, she will not give up. She won't give up. Look at verse 28. But uh, she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, if Jesus would have said these initial words to you and I, you know, hey, kids eat, you know, then the dogs or somebody today in our culture, um, how would we respond? How dare you call me a dog? I'm so offended. We've talked about that. So much, so much offense going around in our culture today. How dare you say that to me? Don't you know I have my rights? I have my rights. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't have to put up with this. I'm out of here. I mean, that's, that's possible, maybe possible, we would respond in something, how dare you, Jesus? You know, or what? Uh, or, or at the far end, I have my rights. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. How dare you call me this? I love uh, how Tim Keller describes her response and what's taking place here. Look at this quote. He says, in Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness. That's the woman's assertiveness. We don't have anything like this, he says. We only have assertion of our rights. We do not know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights. 
standing on our dignity and our goodness and saying, this is what I am owed. But this woman is not doing that at all, he goes on. This is rightless assertiveness, he calls it. Rightless assertiveness. Something we know little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. That's what she's doing. That's what's happening here. It's kind of like she's saying, okay, I understand. I don't have a seat at the table right now. I understand that. I'm not a Jew. I don't worship their God. But even the puppies eat. Please feed us. That's what she's saying. I know she's saying, your, your storehouses, uh, they're full of goodness and blessing. And I know it's going to overflow. It's, you've got so much there for all of us. Not only the Jews, but all of us. All we need. But we need ours now, Jesus. We need ours now. She's one of the first in the Gospels to actually hear Jesus and, and, and actually, hear, actually hear him and understand him and, and really hear him and get him at his word. A Gentile woman now, let's remind ourselves that. A Gentile woman is one of the first people in the Gospels to really hear the message of Jesus and get it and understand what he's saying. What did she ultimately know? Yes, Jesus, I'm a dog. I have no claim on you, on your blessing, on your goodness, but I have faith that you'll give it. That's what she knew. It's all of grace. That's what she knew. She got that it's all of grace. She knew she wasn't coming to him entitled, deserving, or owed something. She came pleading, just help us, Jesus. She saw the gospel in his offer. She saw the gospel in his offer. And you and I, we're not owed anything from God. We're, we're, we're not entitled to anything from God. The gospel's all of grace. It's a picture of what we're getting here. It's all of grace. All of grace. You know, her persistence didn't win Jesus' favor. It was her humble faith, and he loved it. He loved watching it. He loved it on display. He loved drawing it out of her. That's what pleased him. He marveled at it is really what it says. He was blown away. He marveled at it. And she goes home to a healed daughter. It's beautiful. So here's the lesson for us. Jesus bestows all kinds of grace on those who know their need. He bestows all kinds of grace on those who know their need. Are you proud? How dare you, you know? I, I have my rights. How dare you treat me like this? I, I have my, my rights. Or can you say today, yes, I too am one of the dogs. More sinful than I ever dared understand, yet more loved because he died to bring me to the table. She's, her words are just shockingly humble, almost uncomfortable for us today, what she says and what she admits to. Do you see your need? Do you see your need of a Savior? 
You see your need because in seeing it, he loves to lavish us with grace. He loves to do it. Do you see your need to be humbled in faith before the master of the table? That's who she was standing in front of. It's our first reassuring truth that he does draw out faith from the likes of people like you and me. Here's our second one, is that Jesus does all things well. All things well. Look how they respond to Jesus' next miracle in verse 37. They say, uh, it says, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All things well, Jesus does, the crowd says. Not only does he perfectly respond to this woman uh, of our first story, which looked a bit insensitive on the surface, he perfectly responds now to a different kind of situation. And I think, at least personally for me, I think this um, next story about Jesus is one of the sweetest, tenderest, most endearing uh, stories, most touching moments in all of Jesus' ministry. At least for me it is. Maybe it will be for you this morning too. So back in Galilee now, he heads a roundabout way, probably to avoid the enemies again. He goes the, the long way around um, to get back to this area. It's around the Sea of Galilee, but it's still a Gentile area is in, the Decapolis. He is approached by more crowds, in particular, more people crying out and begging, heal us, Jesus, save us, Jesus, heal us. Crowds are everywhere, he goes. They're here begging for their loved ones. And the first thing we see in this second story is Jesus' response, that he does so well for all of us that Jesus hears our cries. Jesus hears our cries. He does this so well here. So well in this tender, sweet moment. Look at 31 and 32 with me. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf. And he had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. So whether it was the woman's pleading or now the friends here who bring this deaf man to Jesus, he hears our cries for help. He hears, he knows. And in those cries we see in the stories that he responds with exactly what you and I need. Whether it's a direct confrontation with the woman that he had, or this sweet identification with a deaf man. Don't you wish you could always respond in the right way? where you never had to second-guess an instinct, think about how freeing that would be. To, you know that you know the, the running dialogue you have. How's that, how's, how are they going to interpret that? How should I respond? Is that kind? No, that's not, that's not kind. Well, maybe I'll say, you know, you know that running dialogue you have. What would it be like to be able to respond uh, always correctly to conflict, to discussion, or a crisis? Someday you will. That's actually the freedom of heaven. How freeing will that be? To just live and never second-guess an instinct. Because we'll be perfected and glorified. Or how about knowing the perfect need as Jesus does here? To know the perfect need and know how to meet it perfectly. Because that's what Jesus does here out of his compassion and concern. He gives this man exactly what he needs. Here we're going to look at, in compassionate concern, Jesus gives us what we need too. And as we said, he definitely knows what we need better than we do, doesn't he? 
And a lot of times it's not what we think we need. But it's a strange interaction between Jesus and this man. Uh, but upon a closer look again, upon a, a, another inspection, a second look, it's perfect. Look at verse 33 and 34. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Afatha, that is, be opened. Here's a series of things he does. Take a look at this, this slide coming up here. Here's what Jesus does in this little interaction. He takes the man aside. He points to his ears or puts his fingers there and, or in and uh, then he touches his own tongue. Jesus does. His own tongue. It's kind of weird. It is a little bit. And then he touches the man's tongue. You would never forget that, right? A, a grown man putting his fingers in your mouth. Uh, but he does. He touches this man's tongue. Then he looks to heaven. Then he sighs. And then he says these words, be opened. Think of this man for a minute, this deaf man. I mean, think of his situation now. Maybe his growing up. This man had probably been ridiculed his entire life for being deaf. Not only that, he had a speech impediment. So I think he maybe, maybe knew speech and became deaf in, uh, deaf in childhood through illness. And so he still tried to speak, but it just didn't sound right. They couldn't understand him. Probably sounded funny, they thought, or something. Think about what he went through. Maybe they told him it was his own fault. It's sometimes common that day. Uh, it was your sin. It's his sin that did it. He's deaf because of his sin. We know it. We know it. Right? This is maybe his life. The eyes on him, as maybe they laughed at him in childhood, as sometimes children are prone to do insecurities or their own inherent cruelness in, child, in children, to, to, to poke fun. Maybe he laughed because he couldn't speak. Maybe you can relate to the stigma and isolation this man felt. When have you felt like an outcast before? When have you felt like the, everyone's eyes in the room are on you, and not for a good reason, <laughs> Stigma and isolation. Jesus and his compassion. Here's what he does. He takes him away from all the gawking eyes that he has lived under his entire life. He takes him away. Let's get away from here. You have nothing to fear. You know, come with me. Let's go to a private place. Come with me. Jesus enters into his life on, on, on his level with exactly what he needs. But he walks away into private. This man can't have a conversation with Jesus. So do you see what he does? It's sign language. It's sign language. That's what Jesus is doing here for this man. He, he, he points to his ears. I'm going I'm to fix your ears. He puts his fingers. I'm going to fix your ears. And he touches his tongue and then the man's. And we're going to fix your mouth too. We're going to fix your mouth too. And I'm the one doing this. My tongue to your tongue. I'm the one who's going to do this. And then I'm, I'm going to look to heaven so that you know by the power of heaven I'm doing this. That God is going to do this for you. The power of heaven. He creates in that moment a nonverbal language as he treats him with love and compassion. That's the heart of our Savior. It's so sweet. That's why I said it's one of the most tender moments of all of Jesus. Meeting his needs. But then he sighs. It's strange. Why does he sigh there before he says, be open? He sighs. Literally, it says he moaned. He moaned. Picture Jesus standing in front of this man. He moans in front of this man right before he heals him. It's, an, it's incredibly revealing and vulnerable. 
for Jesus to, to show that kind of emotion to this man. Now, on the one hand, why, why does he sigh or moan? On the one hand, I think there's an identification with this man's suffering. He can look at this man and just know, oh, I know what you, I just, I know exactly what you've been through. He just kind of does one of those. I just know it. I can see it on your face. I'm God. I know every detail of your life. He's deeply moved by this man's fallen, broken body. He's deeply moved by it. Which means he's deeply moved by your state too. He knows. He knows what you've been through. He knows how you've suffered. Whatever stigma, isolation, pain, brokenness, even in body that many of us have and feel and know, Jesus has that same identifying sigh for you. He knows. He feels it deep in his bones. And my guess is the look on Jesus' face at this moment, that sigh, probably meant just as much to the deaf man as his healing. I would think. I bet it had probably just as much impact on him as he watched Jesus just kind of come unraveled in front of him a little bit. But I also think there's another identification going on here. Not just Jesus to the man, but I think he's probably in this sense too thinking about his identification with the entire state of the world. Just the fallenness and brokenness of our world. Because Jesus just moans out the consequences of sin, I think. Jesus knows. It's the sigh of God, I believe, over the world that has gone askew spiritually, physically, socially, biologically, economically. Sighs over all of that. But maybe a third final identification. It's our third reassuring truth that he's going to put it all back together. It's this. Our restoration at his expense. I think he knows that. I think Mark wants us to see that. I'm going to show us that in a minute, why I think that. Our restoration at his expense draws out praise from our lips and service from our hearts. I think at this moment, too, Jesus may be in his humanity, just growing in his understanding even of what the restoration and healing of humanity is going to cost. And it's going to come at his expense, isn't it? A great expense. Commentators point out, here's why I think that's the case, point out that because of a certain word that Mark uses, it's only used in another place in Isaiah 35 that Mark wants us to instantly, actually Jesus, not Mark even, but Jesus wants us to instantly think of Isaiah 35 here. Here's what it says. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he'll come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. That's next week. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's this week. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Are you seeing this? He's saying, this is what Jesus is saying. God has come. He, he's healing. He's restoring. He's putting things back together in Jesus Christ. That's what Mark is saying. And you know what the parallel is for us? As this man is deaf, as he has a real physical ailment, a real physical issue, his deafness, we, you and I are spiritually deaf. And next week it's going to be blindness. We're spiritually blind. We are born with ears that cannot hear. 
We are spiritually deaf. And we have deaf ears to the gospel until he opens them. That's what Jesus is doing here. Until he opens them. And if you have trusted Christ, it's because he's opened your ears to hear the truth. He's done a work in your heart and your ears. Jesus Christ is the God who saves. That's what's happening in this passage here. Oh, yes, he's fixing everything, everything. And he will. But at a great cost to himself. Do you see how Isaiah also says that God will come with and he will save through vengeance and recompense? I mean, Jesus isn't, he's not destroying and, and tearing up and taking down. He's bringing life and health and healing, not destroying others. So what is, what's going on? I think Jesus potentially sighs because he knows the restoration will only come at his expense. An astounding cost to himself. He'll take on the vengeance. He'll take on the recompense. In other words, I'm, I'm God, Jesus says. Look what I do. I heal. I cast out demons. I give deaf their words back. And yet I will become the silenced mute one for you. I'll go as a silent sheep to the slaughter. And this banquet table we're going to have someday, we're going to eat together, all of us, Jew, Gentile. We're going to come. It's my table, but you know what? I've got to first become the dog so you can become the child. That's what we're seeing. So Jesus is showing us in Isaiah's connection to this passage. And as they respond to him with praise in their lips, look at verse 37 as we close today. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. That's the call of our lives. When we see the God who meets our needs, in Christ's death on the cross, the one who takes on that vengeance for us, and we embrace it with that humble, persistent faith of that woman, we too will respond like the deaf man now could for the first time. With praise on his tongue, we share it, we proclaim it, we take it to the nations in service from our hearts. The great hymn captures it so well, O for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Let's pray. Lord, unstop our deaf ears. Give us eyes to see. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of Christ. Take the Word of Christ today and unstop our ears whether it's uh, for the hundredth time as we continue to listen to the gospel we believe in or for the very first time today, unplug someone's ears. Let them hear the truth of the risen Savior so they too can proclaim it with a newfound voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.